As we have been looking at what you might call the ethical teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, the nitty-gritty daily living, and the kind of overcomers that God's designed us to be when we truly allow Jesus to be the king of our life, to reign in our life, not just Savior, but Lord. And that's an ongoing process. But these last six weeks have been a very high challenge of the kind of character that Jesus really believes is possible for each and every one of us to grow into. And he finishes those six weeks or those six different uh, areas of life that he covers with this statement. And this is all we're going to look at today. Matthew 548, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. And as, as Micah hears this verse, he says, ah, check. Thank you. I knew it was coming. Yeah, we, we had a little fun with him at the life group on Monday night as sitting next to he and his wife and, you know, read this verse and he's like, you know, I was like, done, right? It's done. Yeah, and he's humble. So if anyone questions the validity of, of, of how possible this is, just go talk to Micah and he'll tell you. Amen. Amen. Notice his wife is not t talking right now. All right. I'm gonna have a, I have a question. It's an honest question. Do you believe that God has goals for your life right now? And I would say that if you're in church and, and you're a follower of Jesus, then there's, there's probably a, a very big goal that we all believe in common that God has for us, and that is the, the salvation of our souls unto eternity with God. And that is the most fantastic, amazing goal that clearly God initiated from eternity past. There's nothing more amazing than that. That's awesome. That's a real goal. But sometimes we can get so wrapped up in that goal or maybe content or maybe even complacent in that goal that we feel secure that that goal's kind of the, the box is checked, so to speak, that we can lose the, the fire and passion for the kind of goals that God might have for our life right now. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about goals that God has for our life. This week, this month, this year, God himself, the God of eternity, the God of the universe has goals for our life right now. And here's one. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, how is this the goal? How, how is this a, a reasonable goal? It sounds a bit overwhelming, a bit not possible, a bit uh, too high of a standard. This is a goal that God has for each and every one of us. And there's a couple things that I want to walk us through to where you can be absolutely certain this is a goal that God has for you. And it's not actually meant to be legalistic or overwhelming. It's meant to be something that puts wind in your sails. 
of the hope of the kind of life that's possible as we follow Jesus. Two things that make me very, very confident that this scripture is meant to be one of the most hopeful passages in all of the Bible. It's God's real goal for us, and therefore we can receive it as a promise from God. Because anything that's God's will <laughs> is, like an old friend of mine said, it's also God's bill. Meaning if, he, if it's a goal for you, yes, you're going to be involved, and yes, there's obedience, and yes, there's response, but it's going to be God's power that makes it possible. And so this is going to be, I believe, as we get into it and see it, it's one of the most hopeful promises of God that are in his scripture. So let's get into this idea of a goal. So the word perfect that we see in pretty much all, all the Bibles, all the translations I know, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. We're going to dig into the Greek just for a moment because in this case, it absolutely really matters. The word perfect comes from the word telos, or actually in this case, teleos, which has a meaning far more than what we simply think of when we think of perfect. Oh, be perfect. There's, there's a lot of depth and nuance to it. I want to take us to just a few different passages in Scripture in the New Testament where the same word is used, and it helps to fill out the, the nuance of what this word perfect means in its, in its depth and profundity. So 1 Timothy 1.5, the telos, or the goal or purpose of God's command is love. So this word teleos, same word, in this case is translated with a sense of something having a goal, something having a purpose. Same word, exact same word as perfect in Matthew 5:48. In Ephesians 4:13, there's another sense of the word, and it's talking about God who gave us spiritual gifts. And the purpose of those is that we all would reach a unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and may become, here's the word, perfect. Teleos. But what it, what it is translated in most Bibles is fully mature or fully developed, attaining up until the whole measure of Christ. So there's actually a very similar sense of becoming perfect perfect like our heavenly father, this passage is saying the reason God gave all these different Holy Spirit given and Holy Spirit empowered gifts in the body of Christ is so that we would all grow into the maturity all the way into the fullness of the character of Christ, which by the way is going to be the exact same character as our heavenly father. So it's the same sense. Another one in Hebrews 6.1 says, Therefore, let us leave elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. Or another translation says perfection. So all together, this word, these, or excuse me, these passages give us a sense that this word is not, it's not simply perfect, but it's about attaining a goal. Growing toward a goal. Think about that. 
in your life are you growing towards goals? Is there a greater goal possible than having your character be transformed to be more like your heavenly father? I mean, talk about vision, right? Is there a greater possible vision for your life? Now that you know that you're saved and a child of God and on your way to heaven, is there a greater possible vision, goal, than to grow and mature and become like Christ or become like your heavenly father? That's exactly what this verse is saying. That is the essence of be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. It's a call to be one who grows and matures to fulfill the goal that God has for you, which is to become more and more like your perfect heavenly father. I get fired up by this kind of vision here because it's like we're all looking for vision, right? And really, to the degree you have good vision and are moving for it, forward towards it, your life has purpose. <laughs> your life has passion. Your life has hope. I mean, the, for many, the, the, the clinical definition of depression is when you've lost all vision or passion for that vision. You just, life just has no point. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm aiming at. I don't know what I'm working towards. I don't have any purpose towards it. No passion, no hope for it. And this is the very opposite. This is like you really can't get any higher and greater and bigger and more awesome than Jesus telling you that God's goal for your life is that you would be one who continues to grow and mature to be more perfect like your heavenly father. It's beautiful. One other aspect that's very critical to give us confidence that Jesus really means this. He's not joking and exaggerating. He really means this. Is right where this comes in his teaching, in his Sermon on the Mount. We've been looking for the last six weeks at these nitty-gritty battles of everyday life situations. Because, as we've seen, those situations are, in Jesus' mind, opportunities for you and I to experience and encounter and then demonstrate what it looks like to have God actually reigning in our life as king, turning upside the status quo, turning upside, turning upside down the status quo, turning upside down the, the low character that we have on our own strength and seeing what God can do to a heart that is humble before him, poor in spirit before him, and this, this says, I can't do any of this. And God says, that's a good posture because <laughs> I can. So after teaching six very challenging, high standards of the kind of noble character that we can have in this life, it's like Jesus takes a step back and a pause, and almost like he's taking a deep breath. He just finished six very, very high standard teachings, 
And now he takes a deep breath and he concludes it with the phrase of, so therefore, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Or therefore, be one who grows into these goals of maturity that God has for you to become more and more like your heavenly father. But I want to dig a little deeper here because to believe that this is actually a promise from God, actually God's goal for our life now, that that the power of heaven is with us, behind us, for us, to make this process of growth, maturity towards perfection happen, that we can actually expect it to be tangible. I mean, to believe that is huge. I mean, Check yourself. Do you wake up in the morning and, and be and with, with a confidence and a hope that, wow, no matter what situation I face, no matter how hard it is on my own strength, no matter how challenging it is to the point I know it's impossible to meet, for me to overcome it or be victorious on my own, God's power and presence and goodness is going to be with me in such a, a personal in real way that I know by God's grace my character is going to grow. I am going to become more and more of an overcomer in this life in any situation I face. No situation is going to ultimately have victory over me and my character. Because God is with me to grow me, mature me, develop me towards being more and more like him, my perfect heavenly father. To live with that, that's a beautiful, hopeful, God-honoring confidence that will put wind in our sails and give us a fire in the belly to say, these are God's promises. I'm moving towards it. I'm living towards it. So let's dig in a little bit more here to the structure of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. His structure and flow of thought is absolutely crucial to get to this point and here, be perfect as your Heavenly Father's perfect and actually believe Jesus is serious. So the flow of thought from the very opening line, let's just go back real quick. The opening line of the Sermon on the Mount where he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And he goes on to make nine proclamations of blessing, nine different (laughs) beatitudes, nine, many count eight, but Jesus pronounces blessing nine times saying, you can take joy in the undeserved, unmerited divine favor in your life. That's what blessing means. We looked at it. It's just Jesus saying, take joy in unearned favor. Unearned divine favor. God initiates. This is called grace. So if you want to think about it this way, the opening lines of the Sermon on the Mount are all about God's grace. Blessed, 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 blessed. Unearned divine favor. 
God's already at work in your life. God is active. He's initiating. He is moving. He wants to be personal, powerful, and present in ways that blow your mind. And so we start with what you might say is our identity in Christ. Our whole identity in this life, if we're going to live under the lordship of Jesus, is undeserved favor, undeserved, unmerited goodness, where we bask in, we receive, we say yes to all of these blessings that God himself is initiating into our life. We can't initiate them, but we can reject them. We can say no. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. That's Jesus' first blessing. All of heaven is yours. If you'll just be a humble child of God that says, I don't have it all together, I need you. Or you could choose to say, no thanks, God. I have it all together. I don't need you. And all of heaven will not be yours in this life or the next. So God initiates, it's grace, it's undeserved, it's favor, but there's also the response because the relationship is real. And so that's how, where Jesus starts with all these beautiful blessings about our identity that's possible as we say yes to being children of God. And from there, where does Jesus move? Right after the blessings of being God's kids? What does he say? He goes right into Matthew 5, 13 to 20, where he says some crazy things, I would submit to you, about our destiny in this life. As you bask in the reality of your identity in God, here's the blessings of your destiny in this life. Here they are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so they may see your good weeks and give works and give glory to your Father in heaven, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Those are all promises about the destiny of God's beloved kids. When you bask in the reality of who you are and you let Jesus, you let your heavenly Father be the Lord of your life, Jesus is absolutely serious that this is who you will become. You will become salt to the earth. You will become light to the world. In fact, you will have a light so bright that others are going to look at your life and they're going to give glory to God, meaning they're going to look at you and they're going to be like, wow, that's not that person. They must have God in their life because I know what they can do on their own strength and that's not them right there. And glory to God, awesome, right? I want my life to be like that. I want my life to be so transformed, so different, so beginning in even tiny increments to approach Christ-likeness that people could look at me and be like, well, I know that's not him. That's fine with me. Like, give God the glory because I'm the beneficiary of a transformed life. So I don't need the glory of it. I know I don't deserve it. I don't want it. It's God's anyways. But I get more blessed the more someone can look at my life and be like, wow, God is clearly at work in them. That's all the blessing. I mean, now our, that's all the blessing we should need, right? That means our life is already being amazingly transformed 
If people are going to notice that. And that transformation itself, the walking close with God, the seeing God real, personal, powerful, and present, that is the blessing. And that's where he goes on to say, and so your righteousness is going to exceed that of the Pharisees. And there is nothing in any of these passages, these words, that indicate that Jesus might be joking or kidding. In fact, specifically talking about our righteousness exceeding that of the Pharisees, that's why Jesus goes on in the six ethical teachings to name teachings of the Pharisees and then say, but you're going to do better. His formula six times in a row is, you have heard it was said. And then he quotes a teaching of the Pharisee, whether it's just straight Old Testament law, which he does a few times, or he does an Old Testament law combined with current teaching of the Pharisee. And then he says, but I say to you, and he gives us an even higher and harder law than the Pharisees. But hey, it might be higher and harder than the Pharisees are doing currently, but if the Spirit of God is at work in you, the impossible becomes possible. So your character is going to be higher and better and more righteous than the Pharisees. Ah, uh, hello, because if we're going to become like our Heavenly Father, it better be better than those chumps. Jesus is serious, and we are those chumps. So on our own strength. I mean, we are. Like, I mean, come on. Let's just be very, very real. If Jesus came today, who are the Pharisees? Me, first of all. But all those who have been around that religious world for a very long time and have the danger of just going through the motions to a point to where Jesus might say, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. That's the danger of being around anything for a long time. And so that's not a critique of Christians. That's human nature. The longer something becomes institutionalized, so to speak, the harder it is to stay authentic with it. The more it just becomes, we honor it with our lips. This is what we've said before. This is the tradition. This is how we started. And, and just get going through the motions of it. And it's harder and harder to have your lips and your heart stay 100% authentic. But God, that's Jesus' hope. And that's where, to me, this gets me so encouraged and fired up. And we have to be aware to not listen to the cultural ideas about Jesus' teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount. Even within the church. I mentioned a story before, it's worth one more time, that I was with a pastor that I love and admire. We were talking about the Sermon on the Mount, and he had just finished reading it, studying it, and his conclusion was, man, I love Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. It's so powerful. I'm so reminded in this teaching of how far I fall short, and thanks that he died on the cross. Now, I, while I 100% agree with that sentiment, he stopped there. And in a sense, his conclusion was that's the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is to just remind us of how much we're not like Jesus. And that's where I had to stop and say, no, 
as much as I am absolutely dependent on grace, like you mentioned, and we will fall short to honor this scripture in the text and the words of Jesus, we have to see that Jesus is 100% serious that he believes that with the poor in spirit heart and all the other Beatitudes, his goal for us is actually to live into this as the new way of life in the kingdom with Jesus as king. And anything less than that is, is, is a disobedience to our master who's giving us the vision for life. He's like, here's my visionary manifesto for life. And we got to be so careful as Christians that we're like, well, that, that's kind of hard. I got to die to myself. So no thanks, Jesus, but thanks that you died on the cross. He's got better for us. That's the good news. So he is giving us a goal and a vision. And that's where those six teachings that we just spent six weeks on come in. They're some of the most real and challenging, nitty-gritty things any of us will face in life. And man, it's like, that's part of where the Bible, Jesus, the whole Bible, it never gets old because human nature doesn't change. And I would submit to you and to the world and to your critics if you're a Christian, show me a book that better describes the reality of human nature and, the, and where our hope is really going to be. Because this is Jesus, 2,000 years removed from us, and he, put, he has his finger on the pulse of the kind of nitty-gritty everyday life challenges that we're going to face like he's reading our mail right now. What does he bring up? His first thing he brings up in the nitty-gritty everyday life issues is broken relationships based on anger and offense. Ring a bell. It's just life. What about the next one he goes on to? Lust. Lust of the flesh being willing to chase after momentary gratification that destroys the soul versus having the long-term vision, the discipline to say no to lesser things because you want to say yes to a greater thing that ultimately satisfies the soul. Uh, well, there's every day in our consumer culture, <laughs> where the message is, you deserve it right now. Thank you for the confirmation, spirit. The sirens of heaven agree with me. Is that not what we hear in every advertisement? You deserve pleasure right now. Don't think about the consequences. Don't think about the long term. Indulge. It feels good right now. And you could put that onto a hundred or a thousand different things. Jesus goes after that. Says, I have a better way. On and on. Adultery, cheapening marriage, lies, hypocrisy. I mean, wow, if we could describe the last three years of public life. Lies, hypocrisy, 
like we've never seen before, right? It just shook us to the core of how many people that we're supposed to be able to trust that you can't trust. Man, it's like Jesus knows what he's supposed to talk about. You go on and on. Retaliation, vengeance, hate. It's like Jesus could not bring up more relevant topics to our everyday nitty-gritty life challenges. And as we're bombarded with these messages every day that encourage us along these lines, encourage us to be angry, encourage us to indulge in lust, to deceive, to retaliate with evil, that those are the people that it's okay to hate. Jesus comes along and says, that's not going to get you to your goal. There's a better way to live. He's so bold. He looks at, calls us to look at our life, look at these issues, look at some of these core things that are holding us back from the real goals that God has for our life. And that's right where he says, so be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And it's meant to be one of the most hopeful messages, hopeful promises we could hear in Scripture. Meaning that everything we've now read and heard and listened in the Sermon on the Mount up to this point, even these unbelievably high ethical commands, noble character challenges, they are all part of what Jesus actually, really, truly believes is possible for you in this life as you submit and surrender yourself to that process of being someone who grows and matures to be more and more like our Heavenly Father. So I want to close my part with two things. One, a quick how do we get there at the end and also a encouragement of so how do we turn these into promises? Because that's what I absolutely believe is appropriate. If they're God's will, <laughs> then they're promises. Because there is nothing in the Bible where God ever says, this is my will for your life. You're on your own. Another way to put that is everything that is God's will for your life is a promise from God for where his grace is going to be active. And so, that's what your party favor is about today. Six, recapped here, the six nitty-gritty everyday life teachings of Jesus that are absolutely high character, noble character of our Heavenly Father. But how do we get there? The first step is believing that they are God's will and therefore turning them into prayer declarations over our life. So that's what you've got. Numbers one through six are just in my own language and you can turn it into yours. How do you take that nitty gritty everyday life vicious cycle of really brokenness and bondage that Jesus brings up and then the noble character that's going to 
change that, transform that, and he gives us always it gives us a practical application. Here's a kingdom practice to let God's grace flow through you. We've been through all that, so I'm not going to review all that. I'm going to just say here's the prayer or a prayer that makes this into a declaration of his promise for each one of these things. Now, maybe you like this prayer. I encourage you as you face situations like this or maybe just in the morning. These are six things we pretty much all face every day. Up to you. Make it your own prayer. Reword it. Rewrite it. These are just suggestions. Let's just walk through them real, real quick. Number one, think of yourself praying this. As a promise of God, you believe he will be at work to make happen in your life. I will overcome anger and division through courageous communication that pursues reconciliation. So that's that message in a nutshell, that vicious cycle of anger and division and offense in relationships, but God has better. He calls us to go reconcile with a brother and sister, pursue reconciliation. It's even more important than worship, he says, which, well, okay. I will. Overcome anger and division. You could add in offense through courageous communication that pursues reconciliation. I mean, that's a prayer. It's a meditation. It's a belief that God's grace will make this possible. Does that make sense? Number two, I will overcome lust. And you could parenthesize, of any kind. There are many, 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 many ways to lust. After the wrong thing. I will overcome lust through fighting like heaven with the weapons of heaven. Number three, I will overcome divorce through sacrificial covenant commitment to my spouse. So if you're married, this is a fantastic, fantastic declaration. Because our world tells us, our culture tells us, and this is one of those similar, almost like lust consumer things, we're taught as soon as it's hard, look for something better. And by better, we mean easier. Whereas that was happening in that day too. Cheapening of marriage through divorce. All you have to do, she burned the plate, hand her a certificate, you're done. I mean, that's literally the teaching of the Pharisees. And Jesus is like, "Uh, you can do better. Covenant commitment where the whole mindset is sacrificial service for one another. So making a declaration, getting back. I mean, some of these, if you weren't with us, you can go listen to the message. They're all on our website, all on YouTube. As we get into the depth of what Jesus is really calling us to, marriage is meant to be that mutual submission to one another where we're willing to sacrifice and die for one another like Christ died for us. If you start with that mindset that this is going to be death, then it's actually really good. That's just the Bible. Number four, I will overcome hypocrisy and lies through integrity and truth. And remember, you're praying for yourself. God, you are going to give me the strength to speak the truth and live with integrity and say no in those moments I have throughout my day to just do that little lie or to have, an, have, a, have a hypocritical moment where I know there's not an integrity of what's coming out of my mouth and what's in my heart. Your grace will be with me to be transforming that. 
Number five, I will overcome vengeance through powerful, direct action. And that's where Jesus is being, oh, he's amazing. He's not calling us to be weak and passive and just let evil abuse us. No, he's calling us to so soak in our identity in him where all of heaven is ours that we feel powerful to where we can stand up to evil without becoming evil. So we can stop that vengeance of an eye for an eye retaliation that ultimately can leave the whole world blind. Jesus is saying, I'm calling you to something even way more powerful. So dig into that. Be able to make that a prayerful declaration of how you can creatively do that in situations where you are being wronged. And lastly, I will, I can, I will overcome hate through loving others, even enemies, with undeserved goodness. Such an unbelievable way of life for Jesus to call his followers to say, essentially, how far does your love extend? Is it small? Is it just your little group? Is it just those people that are like you? Is it just those people that you like? What about the people that are annoying? What about the people that are hard to love? What about the people that have wronged you or that have rubbed you the wrong way? Jesus (laughs) gets so personal and practical here. The solution to all of it is to extend your love even to your enemies who persecute you and hate you and to transform the world around you by giving them undeserved goodness. So even when you feel like they don't deserve it and you're right, do what God did for you. While you were an enemy of God, he died for you. So take that same undeserved goodness and pass it on to someone else. It just might change the world. It'll definitely change you. And that's where Jesus always starts. All of these prayer declarations... Let's close with a thought that they are a process of grace. This is an this is a this is the lifetime journey that Jesus is inviting all of us into. This isn't be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect and if you try it for a day and it didn't work, shame on you, give up, forget about it and just thank Jesus that he died for you. This is the vision for the rest of your life. And we're going to fall. And we're going to stumble. And yes, thank God that Jesus died for us and covered us in grace so that we are already perfect in his eyes because we're wrapped in his robe of righteousness. And now that gives us a confidence to get up and try again. And know that his power and presence is with us because we want our life to get better. We want our life to get transformed. Life's just better when you're more like God. (laughs) So you can be selfish in this if you want. Do you want your relationships to get better? Well, if you're more like God in your character than you are currently, presently you on your own strength, then listen to Jesus. And by the way, it also gives God glory. And by the way, it also makes the world better. And so it's everybody wins. And so it's this invitation into the life of being a follower of Jesus that starts now and never ends, where we enter in day after day and say yes to Jesus. And that's really the poor in spirit. That's how we get there. It's always the answer. It's the first thing that Jesus ever said. 
in the Sermon on the Mount. It is the cornerstone, the good news, the gospel in a nutshell. He starts with it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All of heaven is yours. If and when we are poor in spirit. So that's, that's really the check every day right there. Is God, I see the goal you have for my life. Your goal is that I would be increasingly transformed to have the character of my perfect heavenly father. How am I poor in spirit today? In this situation, in this situation. Where am I trying to do it on my own strength? These six nitty-gritty things. All that's about is getting our heart back to the posture of poor in spirit. That's what those prayer declarations are. Those are practical applications of our heart being poor in spirit when it comes to those specific situations. It's always coming back to our heart being humble and hungry before God, childlike, saying, I can't do it, but you can. Help me live in that space. And when I run away from that space because I feel like I've got it on my own, help, thank you that you'll bring me back. Help me learn to live in that place. And as we increasingly live in that place in every single nitty-gritty issue of life, our character is being transformed to be more like our Heavenly Father. So let's take this as one of the most hopeful promises of God to live with and live from every single day of our life. And I'm going to have my wife come up here and close with a, an encouragement and a prayer. I just want to share a little testimony um, out of my own life. And it's that the, the method of this transformation is death. Amen. It's death to ourselves, to our flesh, and life in God. And it's beautiful and amazing because it's supernatural. It's a death to our old mindsets it's a death to the mindsets that don't serve us. If, if any emotion is less than heavenly, any mindset, any thought, whether it's anxiety, fear, lust, anger, not feeling any self-worth, he wants that to be like a little Holy Spirit alarm that goes off, ding, 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 ding. I have so much better for you. And, and what's amazing, I, I have been absolutely loving these verses about death to life that I'm going I'm to read a few of them because in any time that we are experiencing hardship and difficulty and where it feels like the circumstances are winning when it comes to the victory of, our, of where our emotions are at, if we feel like we're being swallowed up by fear, being overwhelmed, whatever it may be that's less than heavenly and that's really less than what Jesus's emotions would be if he were in our shoes, that he wants to transform that. But the process and the method is death to life, death. To life. 
So it doesn't matter what is coming our way. You know, I recently had a difficult situation and we all have these situations that come that you have every right to feel this way. This is upsetting. This is this way. You're just, this is, this is kind of an awful thing to happen. But he wants to live us in, he wants us to live in victory. He wants to infuse in us no matter, no matter what is coming our way, no matter who is saying, you know, saying bad things about us, talking about us, no matter what injustices are coming our way, no matter what it is, he wants us to live a triumphant life of victory. And so I just want to read, um, read these few verses that have really, really been blessing me. If then you have been raised with Christ, this is Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died... And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And the next sentence is, put to death, therefore, what is earthly within you. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. 2 Corinthians 3, 16. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So all this transformation all this transformation of our minds, this renewing of our minds, like Romans 12 talks about, we need to have the mindset that as we encounter God, that we can thank him for the supernatural process of death to life, that the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead is putting to death this whatever it may be, negative emotion, negative character, negative thing. And just like Jesus raised from the dead, his promise as we take his hand is new life and that he is raising us from the dead, that we are not meant to hobble and limp through life with crippling emotions and negative feelings and unhealthy identity but that he wants us to put his hand, our hand in his. He wants us to grab hands with other believers because being honest with other believers and confessing our sins, our shortcomings, everywhere where we're missing the mark is so necessary because as James says, if we pray for one another, he's gonna heal us when we confess our sins. He, he, there's healing that comes through that. So I just wanna bless us with this amazing vision for God's vision for life, which is that this transformation happens. It is a supernatural, supernatural transformation where he brings death to our flesh, to mindsets that don't honor him, that don't worship him, and that hurt us. And by his power, he brings resurrection life. And then, and we walk and what was the first verse? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's resurrection. 
That's what he does. That's resurrection. Amen. <laughs> Let's declare that in a quick prayer and we'll be done. Thank you, Jesus, that be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect is, revel, is <laughs> resurrection life, which is your heart for each and every one of us. So we simply say, make this our vision. Help us believe it. Help us see it as a promise for every day of life. Help us have the courage to go from death to life by your resurrecting power. Thank you that we're already covered by the blood of Jesus, so we are perfect in your eyes under Christ. And now we can have the courage to be people that seek after that growth, that maturity, that development of our character to be more like our Heavenly Father. By your Spirit's blessing, may we live into this resurrection life to your glory and the transformation of the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.